morning. Are you glad you came to church today? Yes, amen. I'm glad you came today too because I am really excited about this series that we've been in. We kicked it off last week. It is called Headlines. It is a question and answer series in case you missed it. Last week we talked about a lot of different uh, themes. We talked about mainly aligning ourselves with God, tr- God's truth and valuing what he values. And we answered the question about you know who should I vote for based on beliefs. And we talked a little bit about those types of things and what God values. And so if you missed it last week, I want you to go back and listen to it because I believe that it's really important. We talked about the issue of life. We talked about the things that God says are important. Amen, somebody. And uh, this week we're going to continue answering questions, but we're going to do something a little different this week than what we did last week. If you brought your, uh, your iPad or your iPhone or your uh, Android-based phone, if you brought your smartphone or your mobile device, um, you can text questions in or email them. You have to uh, send those to questions at wogcc.com, and you can do that at any point in the service if you have a question or if there's something maybe that I said that sparked a question in your mind, I want you to use that and I'm going to come back uh, at the end of my message and answer some of those questions that you may have had while you're sitting here in the room. So make sure you send those to questions. You can email that questions at wogcc.com. Questions with an S. So make sure that you don't uh, type in question and we miss you. So questions, you can also use the red box out in the guest services area. If you want to a- ask a question for this series, you can always email us at info at wogcc.com for this series. And that's what's been happening is that people have been emailing, and I really appreciate you participating, and uh, I'm really excited about this. You can also follow along in version. which how many, any of you guys use version? I just want to see your hands. Anybody using it? Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Can we give the folks that put all that together a hand? Because I don't do that. Other people do that in this church, and I just want to tell them thanks for putting that together. Uh, if you don't know what in the world we're talking about, uh, it's an app for your phone if, or your iPad or whatever. You can uh, download that app and click on Live. Um, a lot of people use version for their Bible, and they don't realize it's version because it's just a little Bible app. That's all they know it as. But if you click on that and you go to live, you'll be able to search for an event in your area, and you'll find our service here. You'll be able to put in your own notes along with my notes, and then you'll also be able to email all of that to yourself whenever uh, you're finished, and you'll be able to look at that. You can also send comments or prayer requests in there as well. So we're just trying to utilize uh, the technology uh, and uh, make sure that, that we're able to communicate a little bit better and have this exchange. I want this to be very interactive. So let's go ahead and get right into this. Last week, um, you know, like I said, we talked about aligning ourselves with what God values. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about violence because the question was asked, why do children become violent? That was the question that was sent to me um, earlier this week. And so uh, all of these questions are going to deal with how we respond to violence and how we respond to different things that are associated with violence. And so I titled my message this morning, if you're taking notes, A Heart of Violence. So why do kids become violent? You know, we think about that. We look at all the different things going on in our world. Haven't we seen in just a huge jump lately in the news of a lot of violent acts in the media, just like, especially close to home? I mean, Wisconsin has been in the news and not in a good way here lately because of all the negative things that we've seen happen. We've seen people murdered. We've seen all kinds of things. Even here in Sheboygan Falls, in our very own Sheboygan Falls, Barbara Olson was murdered by her 13-year-old grandson and his friend. 
I mean, that shook up this community. I, I, I was blown away when I heard the news. I thought, no, no, that's, that's not my, the Sheboygan Falls I live in. No, that's, that's uh, Sheboygan Falls somewhere else, right? That's surely, that's not the same. And that's how a lot of us think, or man, there's no way, this is way too close to home. You know, you heard about in New Jersey, the 12-year-old that was murdered for bicycle parts by a 15 and 17-year-old boy. And then you hear in Huntsville, Texas, a 10-year-old shot and killed his 15-year-old sister and then killed himself. A 10-year-old was recently arrested for smothering and killing an infant that she and her mother were babysitting. And we go, what in the world is going on? This is crazy, and, and it would want to strike fear in our hearts. We hear about the, the murder at the spa. We hear about the shootings in churches. We hear about the shooting in Milwaukee. They're not even just a couple of months ago at the Sikh temple. We hear about all these different types of things going on, and it makes us wonder, why are these people so angry? Why are these children acting out in this way? What is going on? And so we're going to look to the Word of God to answer our questions this morning and how we handle this how we view it, and how we can move on and find healing and peace in the middle of the storm and find our comfort in the Lord. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, that God has always been after the heart of man. Ever since the beginning of time, that's been God's desire, that's been his goal, is the heart of man. You know that if God wanted to create someone to serve him on demand and automatically, God would have created us that way, but he wanted us to choose him. You see, that was what God wanted us to do. He wanted us to choose him. So in the Garden of Eden, he wanted man to have a choice. He didn't want man just to automatically do it because that's what he was supposed to do. He wanted his heart. He wanted to be wanted. He wanted to be desired and loved. He wanted man to choose him, and so he gave man a choice. And it's always the heart that God is after. Always, always, always. Even all of the good things that we do as Christians, you know, a lot of times when we think about Christians, we think about good moral people who do good, who do good moral things. And sure, we all should be good moral people doing good moral things, but Christianity is so much more than good morals. Amen, somebody. You see, we can't just boil it down to just being a good person. It's about a relationship with God and desiring Him. And as He is after our hearts, we are chasing after his heart. You know, when we think about doing good things for God and to God, and in church, we think about, you know, church attendance, that's really important. We think about, you know, tithing. We think about the Ten Commandments. We think about, you know, uh, the tree in the Garden of Eden, you know, all these different things, these good things that God put, all of these things that he had for us are ways that we show him our heart. It's not the fact that God is after our money when he talked about tithing in his word. It's that he's after our heart. You see, in Luke 12 and 34, the Bible says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Even the Ten Commandments, all of the thou shalt nots, God's just not trying to restrict us from having any fun, or he's not just trying to restrict us to keep us to be a, a, a certain way. It's not just his way of putting all these boundaries and limits and restrictions on us. It's us choosing him because he's after our heart. Amen, somebody. You see, God, God, God created everything. He, he's there in heaven with streets of gold that we hear talked about and sung about and all these wonderful things. What does God need our money for? He doesn't need our money. He's after our heart. He's after our obedience. God isn't just after a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts and a big long list. And if we do all this, then God will like us. No, he's after our heart. Amen? That's what he's after. That's what God desires. He's after that heart of man because what these things do is they reveal the heart of man. 
When we have a choice to serve him or to deny him, if we have a chance to stand up for him or reject him, it's revealing the things that are in our heart. And that's what God is after. He's after our heart. But because of sin, there's a disconnect between the heart of man and God. We know that without God, we're empty people that are always searching for someone or something to fill that void. Always. And that's how it's going to be until the end of time. Because we're looking for something that only God can fill. This entire world is looking for something. And we paint these pictures of true happiness, of true success. And people kill themselves to go after these things. And they'll forsake their family. They'll forsake their marriages. They'll leave all common decency and good sense behind to try to attain something that they think will make them feel fulfilled and complete. And it always, always, always leaves them ending up wanting more. Because it never says enough. It never says, okay, I'm satisfied. The Bible talks about this in the book of Proverbs. I can't remember all of the things that it says in that particular verse. But it says that there are three, yet four things that never say enough. It said one of them's the grave. One of them's the barren womb. I can't remember the other one. But the last one is fire. Fire never says enough. It never says I'm done. You know, if a house catches on fire, it doesn't go, oh, I'll just burn this room. That's good for me. I'm good with one room. It's not going to stop. It's going to keep on going and burning. How many of you guys have sat around a nice fire on some of these chilly nights? It's been really nice. To, it's perfect sitting around a fire type weather. It's been just great. And you don't go, that, that log just go, man, okay. That, the, the fire says, that's all I need. That's all I need. I, I'm, I'll sustain on this one log and I'll just burn for as long as you want me to. No, it never says enough. It keeps on consuming. And that's exactly how these things that people pursue are. These things that people try to get. It's when I get to a certain level of income, all of a sudden I start wanting more and I'm never satisfied. And I think, well, if I only made this much money a year, then I would be happy. And then you make that much money a year and you've lost so much to get there and you're still unfulfilled. You think, oh, I need that new car or, oh, I need that new thing. I need to have that big TV or whatever the case may be. If I had this position... And we chase after all these things only to find that when we get a hold of them that we're still left feeling empty. Because when it all boils down to it, we are a people that need God in our lives. Amen? You see, that hole cannot be filled with anything but God. That void cannot be filled with anything but God in our lives. And that's what he wants to be in our lives to bring us that true peace and that true sense of contentment. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the nature of man. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he tells them this in Ephesians 2 and verse 1. He said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so he's saying, so once you were walking just like everybody else, the course of this world, which was ruled by the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about the devil. He's saying, you, you, were, you were hooked up with that way of thinking, and you were making decisions and valuing those types of things. You once walked this way. But then verse 3 says, among whom we all once, were, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." It said, by nature, we were children of wrath. You see, before Christ, you and I did not have his nature. We had a nature of wrath. 
we had a nature of sin, a nature of disconnection between us and God. And when Paul wrote that word wrath, he wrote this word in the Greek that is the word orge, and it means movement or agitation of the soul, impulse, desire, any violent emotion, but especially anger. This word wrath, he said, by nature, we were children of wrath. Movement or agitation of the soul, impulse, by nature, impulsive, full of this desire, full of any violent emotion, especially anger. He said, that's what your nature was before Christ. That was your nature as a result of sin. This nature that moves on impulse, that wants to crave things, that wants to fulfill the lusts of its flesh, that never says enough, just like that fire. Because when someone starts, for example, looking at pornography, you know, at first the things that would get them excited and the things that would temporarily fulfill them don't work six months down the road if they don't find freedom. They get deeper and deeper into perversion. And then before you know it, they have to find more and more perverted things to fill the lust of their flesh. They get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And they get ensnared in it. And they get trapped in it because this nature never says enough. This nature never says, okay, I'm satisfied. It's always wanting. Anybody ever been hungry before? Anybody hungry right now? Especially when you saw that video talking about cinnamon rolls as big as your head, and you're like, what? That sounds awesome. You're going to get hungry again, no matter how exquisite the meal was, no matter how great the preparation was, no matter how wonderful everything tasted, you are going to get hungry again because your flesh never says I'm done enough. And let me tell you, folks, it's the same way with this nature that is driven by impulse that causes violent and angry emotions. And the reason it does, the reason it causes those things is because we're not at peace with God. When we're living according to that flesh, that nature of wrath, when we're living according to that, we're not at peace with God. We're looking for something to fulfill us. We're looking for something to fill that void and that gap and that need. Even as believers, we may struggle sometimes with our flesh. And there's a war between our flesh and our spirit, that recreated part of us that God made new. And then there's still that part of us that's pulling that's never satisfied. But yet if we will live our lives according to the spirit and not give in to the lusts of our flesh, then we will truly find ourselves satisfied and at peace with God. Amen, somebody. Amen. I want you to get this, that, that by nature, this impulse is there. And it causes those violent and angry emotions when we're not at peace with God. I want you to turn to the book of Genesis and I want you to see here in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. This is a story of Cain and Abel, the very first siblings and uh, go figure, the very first siblings to ever arrive on the planet, you know, this happens where one of them ends up killing the other one out of violence and out of rage. I want us to read about this in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Adam knew his uh, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering, to, uh, brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance falling? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in a field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now we see here in the word of God talking about Cain and Abel and how they both brought offerings to the Lord. You know, I've always wondered as I've read this, you know, what was it about Cain's offering that was rejected by the Lord? I know I've always heard it in Sunday school and growing up, well, you know, uh, Abel brought the best. He brought the first, you know, and, and it doesn't say that Cain brought the best. You know, and that, that may be true. I, I, I don't know. But I do know that whatever the reason that Cain's offering was rejected, Cain knew that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do because of the way God talked to him. God said in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, he said, you already knew. So somewhere when we see the scripture up here that talks about in verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass, somewhere in that process of time, Abel knew what he should be doing, as did Cain, because there was this time where for some reason, Abel knew to bring this offering to the Lord and what kind of offering he needed to bring to God. And Cain also knew he needed to bring an offering to the Lord. However, he didn't do it the way that he was supposed to do it or bring whatever he was supposed to bring and whatever the case may have been. Because God specifically tells him, he said, why are you mad? He said, Cain, what's the deal, man? What's going on? Why are you mad? Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? In other words, why are you letting this thing get a hold of you because I've rejected this offering? In other words, telling you, you knew better. You ever tell your kids that? You knew better than to do that. Amen, Amen somebody. You, you knew better. You knew that was wrong. You knew you were supposed to do this or do that or not do this or do that. And that's what God's telling Cain. You, don't you know if you do right that you'll be approved? Don't you know that? In other words, Cain knew what he was doing was not right. But then God goes on to tell him, he says, listen, I see that you're angry and I see that your countenance has fallen. But listen, this sin desires to rule over you. You need to be careful because something is developing in your heart. You've allowed something to get in your heart that is influencing your attitudes and your actions and the way that you feel about me and the way you feel about others and your brother. He said, and this thing wants to rule over you. He said, but that's not my desire. He said, I want you to rule over it. So understand, church, it is never God's intention for sin to rule over us. Amen? It's never God's intention for our attitudes and our emotions to rule over us. Amen? You see, God said, I want you to rule over it. He said, sin's there, it's knocking, it's at the door. He said, sin is right there, and its desire is for you. But, he said, you should rule over it. But he didn't let it, he, he didn't let God's words of caution and of warning, he didn't heed to those things. Instead, he gave in, and he allowed that sin to rule over him, and it caused him to act out in violence. Now, understand something about our heart that God is after, when this stuff starts to build up. It's this influence, it's what we allow to become agitated, this impulse, this emotion that we feed and it grows and grows and grows. Influence is key to shaping our heart. We've gotta understand that what we allow to influence us, the things we dwell on, the things that we think about, the things that we submit ourselves to, these things are going to influence our heart because influence is key to shaping our heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse 29, a violent man entices his neighbor 
and leads him in a way that's not good. A violent man entices, look at this, a violent man entices his neighbor. In other words, he's influencing him. He is leading him either directly or indirectly. He's enticing his neighbor, this person that he's associated with, and is going to lead him in a way that's not good. This violent man is enticing, and that's exactly what happened to Cain. Cain was enticed by this sin that wanted to rule over him. It appealed to his flesh. And he dwelt on it, and it was leading him down a way that was not good, and it began to develop attitudes and emotions and thoughts in him, and he acted out on those things when he saw the opportunity. Now understand, getting back to this question about why do children become so violent, we cannot blame parents, we cannot blame the devil, we can't blame the schools, we can't blame video games, TV, heavy metal music. All these things that we're, we're looking, we're searching for an answer. We're going, why did this happen? Why did this person act this way? So we look for this one thing that we want to demonize and that we want to pick out and say, well, that's why it happened. Folks, let me tell you, people don't act that way and react that way just because of one thing. It is a collective influence of these things that shape a person's heart. You see, it's a collective influence. It's not just that one thing. Now, that one thing may have a stronger influence than other things, but it's a collective influence. And we have to understand the power of influence and what we allow. That's why it's so important what we allow our children to be influenced by. That's why it's so important because abuse, neglect, lack of discipline, even exposing them to things too early, all of these things rob children of their innocence. I want to talk about that for just a minute. Exposing them to things too early. You know, I think that we live in a day and time where we want our children to have things we didn't have and experience things that maybe we didn't get to experience as children. And so we want to expose them to so much. And we want them to see this. And we want them to be experiencing this. And, and, and we want them to have that. We're, we're almost impatient with our children's experiences. And we want to vicariously live through these children. And so we begin to push them into things and to experience things and to achieve things and to do things that we didn't get to do. And because of that, our children get exposed to way too much, way too soon. And they get hard in their hearts towards things. Folks, let me tell you, just because it's okay for you to watch that television show does not mean it's okay for your kid to watch it. They don't know what that means, yes, but it's still influencing them. When you're listening to that song on the radio that has these lyrics that may be fine between a married man and woman, that, you, that may be something about love, but yet it stirs up an emotion in your child, you've got to protect your children. They don't understand what that means. Yes, but it's still influencing them, and they're going to figure it out sooner or later. My, goal is, my, my guess is, is that if they go to school, it's probably going to be sooner than later. If they ride the bus, it's going to be sooner than later. They're going to know what that means. You see, it's influence. Do you, yeah, do you know, yeah, it, everything's fine when my kids are at my house. Yeah, but when your kids go over to someone else's house, do you know what their parents value? Do you know if their parents are going to allow their children to do the same things and restrict the same things? And, and how much of that is important to you? Is your child old enough to where they're mature enough to make those decisions that when the pressure is on that they're going to stand for what they know is right or are they going to go the other way? You see, right now we have to be aware of the influences that we allow in our children's lives. Amen, somebody. 
you know, just because, just because the, 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 the blood and the guts doesn't bother you on, on a movie doesn't mean that it's okay for your six-year-old. Amen? Just because all of uh, little Johnny's buddies have that new rated M video game doesn't mean that it's okay for your 10-year-old to have it. Amen? Oh, it's just video games. They know the difference between this and that. Do they? Are you going to allow those influences in your child's life? Because all these influences are shaping their heart. All of these little things are shaping their views of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. It's, it's entertaining emotions and feelings in them that they may not be mature enough to handle and deal with. And because of that, they get hard in their heart towards things. They get calloused over to things. You ever bought that new pair of leather shoes and you're like, go, go, oh, oh. Because you've got those, those, those big, huge blisters on the back of your heels but then guess what? After about a week or two, you're good. Why? What has happened? What has changed? Well, the shoes have worn in and you've got something on the back of your heel that's nasty. <laughs> and it's called a callus. You know, when you start play, first start playing the guitar, you're like, oh, my fingers, they hurt so bad. But after a while, you get calluses built up and you can play no problem. Uh, acoustic guitar strings are harder to play than electric guitar strings, by the way. And so electric guitar players, whenever they grab an acoustic guitar, they'll be like, oh my goodness. And you're like, oh, poor electric guitar players. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for you. But you eventually build up these calluses and, and there's no pain. You could play forever. As a matter of fact, um, when uh, Pastor Keith first learned to play the guitar, he was uh, playing in our youth group in Arkansas and uh, there would be times where my altar calls would go for an hour and he would have to stay up there and play music the whole time because I had to have music while I was doing that altar call. And after we were over with, he's like looking at me going, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> his fingers almost fell off. So I imagine he has pretty strong calluses on his fingers because of those years as a teenager playing the guitar. But let me tell you, folks, that happens to our kids' hearts, happens to our hearts. We accept things as normal that should never be normal because we get hard to it, because we get callous over to it, because we're just used to it, because everybody does it, and we don't think a whole lot about it because we've allowed these things to influence us, because we've exposed people to things too early. We've exposed our children. Now, you have to be responsible for the things that you allow in your home, amen, and the things that you allow your children to be exposed to and influenced by. Amen, somebody have to protect our children's innocence. See, these things that influence the heart and the more pain, the more anger, the more violence, the more neglect, the lack of discipline, because how many of you know that discipline and boundaries, you know, setting those things is one thing, but enforcing it is a whole other thing, right? Amen? It's easy to say one, two, three, three and a half, three and a quarter, three, you know, you don't want me to get to four, you don't want me to go, oh, I'm five, Five is the number. Matter of fact, I heard a mother the other day say that. I think I was at Walmart. She said, one, two, three. And I thought she was going for three, you know. And then she said, four. Don't make me go to five. You are seriously not going to make me go to five. That's what she said. You are seriously not going to make me go to five. <laughs> I guess five's the new, the new thing now. It was one, two, three. <laughs> and if you want to count to your kids, that's fine. But let me tell you, they better know you're serious. Because if you keep 3.1, 3.1.5, 3, 3.1.6, they don't take you seriously. Don't even fool yourself, right? 
Why don't we fool ourselves to think that counting, you know, our kids are probably going, I watch Sesame Street, Mom, I get it. And sometimes our children want to help us out for, right? (laughs) But we've got to actually enforce those boundaries and not just make a bunch of empty threats. Otherwise, our children grow up knowing that that all of these threats, they're, 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 there's no merit to them and there's no discipline there. And then we wonder why we have to deal with the things we deal with later. It's all about influence. It's all about what we allow our children to be exposed to. It's all about these things that we allow to shape their heart and their worldview. Amen? But there's hope. I don't like preaching messages like this and trying to be all doom and gloom and not offer any hope because, yeah, all of these things are heavy. And I knew this was going to be a heavy service when I was going to talk about some of the violent things that were a little closer to home. But folks, let me tell you, there's hope. Amen, somebody. Matter of fact, there's hope. It doesn't matter how disconnected you may be with your children. It doesn't matter how disconnected you may be with your spouse. It doesn't matter how disconnected that you may feel, uh, you know, in your home. There is always hope. If you are breathing in this room, there is hope. Amen. You see, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 and 26, this is a prophecy concerning what Jesus was going to do when he comes. So that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He said, I'm going to take out that stony heart, that calloused heart. I can take that out and I can make that new. You know, all the time I, I, I dealt with youth, you know, with teenagers for seven years, full time in ministry, dealt with these guys. And, and there would be these kids that would come from these really tough backgrounds. And as soon as I would meet them, they would want to, you know, let me know how tough they were and how hard they were. And they would always want to let me know that I wasn't going to push them around. I wasn't going to tell them what to do and all of those things. And, and, and let me tell you, I, I had to be the guy that showed them that I cared about them, but yet I also set boundaries for them. And no matter how hard their heart was, you know what? I eventually won almost every one of those kids over because I was consistent and I showed them that I cared about them. Because God can melt the hardest heart that's seen the worst things, that's experienced the worst tragedies. God can melt that heart because that's what he said he'd do here in Ezekiel 36 and 26. Amen? Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, on Wednesday night, you know, at, at 180, here we have a, a guy, his name is Ben Bergerson. He is also known as the enforcer. He is not just the guy that is going to make a threat. He's the guy that helps enforce the rules. And he is, he is a part of being over our security at 180 to make sure that everything goes smoothly, to make sure everyone can listen to the word of God, everybody can worship, everyone is, is safe, everyone's protected. He goes and checks the parking lot, all these other things. But if you break a rule, Ben is going to tell you about it. And he's going to let you know if you do this again, this is what's going to happen. And, if, and they know that if they do it again, that that is going to happen. There's no wiggle room there because he is the enforcer right and that you know and and that's good because it sets those boundaries it lets you know listen i love you and i care about you but listen i've got to set boundaries and i've got to enforce those things because i want you to understand what's important and we're communicating to them what's important so anyways understand that god can forgive god can restore and if his, love, if, if his love was shown to prostitutes, thieves, and even the Apostle Paul who murdered Christians, then his love can be shown to these children who have committed these terrible crimes. Amen? 
think about this for a minute. I mean, this will really mess with you. This messes with my head when I think about it. I think about the Apostle Paul, and I think how he was responsible for the stoning of Stephen, one of, you know, these guys that's out there telling people about Jesus. Here's Stephen being stoned to death, and Paul standing there, or Saul at the time was his name before God changed his name to Paul. And he's sitting there watching him being stoned, and this guy says, "I, I, I see an open heaven before me, and they're constantly being hammered with stones. And, Paul, and, and this guy is sitting there overseeing this murder. And then after that, God wrecks his life and saves him, and he ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. We don't even want to talk to people who lie to us. We don't even want to deal with folks that, that, that haven't done anything like uh, overseen a murder of a fellow Christian. And yet this guy authored two-thirds of the New Testament? You want to talk about a perfect picture of God's grace and mercy. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing God's perfect grace and mercy in here? This guy here, could you imagine? He's, he's overseeing this murder of Stephen. And then God saves him. He, he gets saved, falls off of his horse on the way to Damascus to go persecute some more Christians and ends up planting churches, ends up preaching the gospel, ends up doing all these things because he truly understood who he was in Christ, and he truly understood that this hard heart had been taken out, and now he has this new heart. And he identified with that. He refused to let his past identify him and hold him back. So let me tell you, it doesn't matter how far you've gone or what you've experienced or what you've done, there is still hope, and God still is opening the door for you to make it right between you and him in your heart. Amen? Amen. You see, we've got to allow God's love and truth to influence our heart. I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 2 because we talked about by nature being children of wrath, but he didn't stop there. He wrote some other things there in Ephesians 2 and verse 4. He says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. And the guy who wrote this is the guy that was standing there who gave the order to execute a Christian before he knew Christ. Think about the love of God, folks. I just think that's amazing and it blows my mind to see how much God loves us and how much he gives us his grace and his mercy. Amen? So let's answer the question, how should a Christian feel towards someone who has committed an act of violence against them? You know, how should we feel? about that how should we handle that here's the thing i want you to write this down we are responsible for what we allow to grow in our hearts we are responsible for that you and me we are responsible for what we allow in our hearts mark 4 and 7 talks about how the uh, some of the seed that was sown when jesus was giving the parable of the sower sowing the word he said this the word is like a seed so when you're hearing the word it's like a seed being sown on the soil of your heart but mark 4 and 7 talks about some of that seed was thrown on thorny ground and whenever it started to grow the thorns that were there they choked it up and it wasn't able to live because of the thorns you know he said some fell on stony ground some fell on good ground but he said some fell on thorny ground is what he said in mark 4 and 7 
And I want you to think about this, that the thorns were first seeds as well. So as the seed was scattered, as the seed was sown, and the thorns choked it up, there was something sown beforehand that had already grown up that was there in a position to be able to choke out the good thing that was trying to be done. I want you to understand that these thorns that were already there, they existed because something was allowed to take root, something was allowed to be nurtured in a way that it grew up into something that when something good would try to be sown, that it choked the life out of it. And the only way for that good seed to fall and to grow and to produce is going to be you've got to rip up the thorns, amen? You've got to rip up the thorns because the thorns were there because of something was planted, something that happened. I want you to understand that Matthew 23 and 23 talks about the things that God values. Jesus said the important things are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. God is a just God, but he's also a God that's full of mercy. Faithfulness to God and allowing his truth and his love to influence our lives will help us remain balanced and not become hard-hearted to where we allow thorns to grow up in our hearts. Because if we allow the hurt, the pain, the frustration, the anger to take root in our heart, it'll grow up and be thorns. And then when good things are tried to be sown in our lives, it immediately gets choked up. It immediately dies and never is able to produce because we're not loving the same thing God loves. We're not valuing the same thing he values. He said, I value love, mercy, justice. He said, faithfulness. These are the things that I value that I say are important. And if we value those same things that God values, it's going to help us to remain balanced and not become hard-hearted. Because how many of you know when you get done wrong, it's easy to get hard towards somebody? When you feel like something to you that has been done that is not just, that is not right, we want to execute our own version and our own brand of justice on that person. We want to see them brought to justice. We want to see them suffer as we have suffered. And if we don't watch it, we can become very hard-hearted and those thorns will grow up and choke out anything good that God wants to do in our lives. That stuff's got to come up. We've got to be balanced and not become hard-hearted. That's why the Bible says we can be angry and not sin. See, Jesus was angry when he went in the temple and he saw them there with the money changers and he went and uh, turned over all the tables of the money changers and all those things. Jesus was angry, but the Bible says he didn't sin. We believe Jesus didn't sin, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. So Jesus was angry, but he did not sin. Now, it's okay to get angry, you know, because our U.S. ambassador was killed by a terrorist. It's okay to get angry because you heard about a shooting in a movie theater. It's okay to get angry that someone did something wrong to you. But here's the deal. What you do next is crucial. What you do with that anger is crucial. Amen? You see, it's not the fact that what happened made you angry. It's not the fact that you get upset. It's not the fact that that emotion came up. It's what you do with that emotion, just like Cain. He said, now listen, Cain, that sin wants to rule over you. It wants to get you to act on something and to allow something to build up in your heart that's going to choke out any good thing that I try to do. So listen, here's the question. What are you going to allow anger to become? What are you going to allow that to turn into, to develop into? What are you going to allow anger to become? How long are you going to hang on to something? Yeah, sure, when that initial thing happened, but how long are you going to get, are, are you going to let it get to the point to where you're wishing ill on someone else because you were done wrong? Are you going to entertain those thoughts of anger and those thoughts of hurt so long 
that you want to see that other person suffer just like you've suffered? You know, you've heard of the Iranian president, President Ahmadinejad. I had to practice saying that. (laughs) And what's one of his things that he always says, I want Israel to be wiped off the map. He said, I want to see them completely gone. I want to see them be completely and utterly destroyed. He has such hate and anger towards Israel. And what he doesn't realize is that he has such hate and anger towards God. Towards the people that God loves, the God's chosen people. That he has such anger and hatred towards them that he wants to see them completely obliterated. And folks, if we don't watch it, You and I can get our heart's heart just like that and want to see someone else completely wiped off or hurt because we're hurting, because we're angry. I want you to listen to me. Just like on, on September the 11th, we saw the terrorist attacks. I heard people say this. We just need to go over there to those nations where all the uh, Arabs are and we need to just nuke all of those people and just completely destroy them. What a terrible attitude for a Christian to have. Now, do the people who did, did the wrong, do they need to be brought to justice? Do we need to try to seek out those terrorist cells and prevent these things from happening and defend ourselves? Absolutely. But what we don't need to do is wish for an entire race of people just to be obliterated because Jesus died for them too. I said Jesus died for them too. And we have to be careful not to allow that root of anger and that root of hurt to get so deeply seated in us that we wish someone else didn't even exist that we wish that someone else would suffer like we have suffered so we'll feel better about it you see folks it's never enough it's never going to stop it's never enough but you and i are responsible for what we allow to grow in our hearts we are responsible for what we allowed so it's not the fact that you got angry because it happened it's what you do with that anger what are you going to allow what are you going to allow to happen in your life because of that anger so Last question I want to answer is, how do we recover from the tragedies of violence, from suicide, from murder, terrorism, bullying, abuse? How do we recover? How do we begin the steps of healing? How do we begin that process when we have been suffering from an act of violence? Let me tell you this, folks. This is your fourth point. I want you to write this down. God gives our hearts healing through his love and truth. Can I get an amen, somebody? Uh, Think about this. How did the Apostle Paul ever really feel forgiven when before he was a Christian, he was responsible for the death of so many Christians? How did he ever, with a clear conscience, preach and tell others about the love of God after he had done these things, after he had committed all these terrible crimes against God and, and, and he had been persecuting Jesus? Matter of fact, when he got knocked off his horse, Jesus spoke to him and he said, Saul, Saul, he says, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus Christ, the one you've been persecuting. He said, it's not that you've been persecuting my people, it's that you've been persecuting me. He made it very personal to Paul. He said, you've been persecuting Jesus. You've been persecuting me. How could that guy ever feel confident enough to write two-thirds of the New Testament that we have today, to plant hundreds of churches, to train up pastors, to be able to preach the gospel and talk about the love and grace and mercy of God. How could he ever do that? Here's how he did it. He understood who he was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You want to know who wrote that? Paul. Paul understood who he was in Christ. He understood that since he's in Christ, that old things are passed away and all things have become new. In other words, I'm not going to let my past hinder my future. 
In other words, I'm not going to let the things I've done keep me from where I'm going. Because it's my responsibility to make my life right before Christ. And it's not that Paul was trying to earn back and do good deeds to do penance for the bad things that he had done. No, that wasn't what he was doing. He was stepping up and being who God had called him to be and identified himself with who Christ had made him, not his past. Amen? And you see, when we understand that God has forgiven us, when we understand that God loves and forgives others, when we understand God's attitude towards us and we understand what he's done for us and what he did on the cross, then you and I can identify with who we are in Christ and that's where healing starts. It's understanding the love of God. It's understanding that I'm a new creation. It's understanding that old things have passed away. You know, when we say old things have passed away, sometimes we think about, that's just the bad things I've done. No, it can also be the things that have been done to us and the things that we've experienced. Old things have passed away. Since I'm in Christ, I am truly a new creature. I'm a new creation because I'm allowing my life to be identified with God. And it's a process of growing and maturing and learning how to receive the love and forgiveness of God. You know, you've got to learn to receive forgiveness. You've got to learn to receive forgiveness. You've got to learn. I want you to get this. You've got to learn to receive forgiveness and to receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. You've got to learn that, you know what? By all means, what you and I earned was the penalty of sin, and that's death. But Jesus died so we didn't have to. Matter of fact, we're going to live forever with him eternally. Because of his great love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? That whoever would believe in him is not going to die. But have life everlasting. It's because of Jesus. It's not by our works. Otherwise we could boast. That's what the, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote that too. He understood who he was in Christ. Now we've got to find our identity in Christ. And not be defined and ruled by our past. Others may define you and judge you by your past, but listen, it's not important what others define us and judge us by. It's important how we see ourselves. Amen? How you see yourself is much more important than how anyone else will try to judge you and define you. For us to find healing in our hearts, we must allow God's truth and love to influence our lives and to come to the forefront. We need to identify with what Jesus has done and says about us, allowing his love to define us. In John 15, Jesus says this. He says, I want you to love me as I've loved you. He said, the way that I've loved you, I want you to love me. Isn't that pretty heavy? Think about that. I want you to love me the same way that I've loved you. That's how we begin to find healing, is that we begin to allow the love of God to take over. We begin to allow the love of God to wash us and to comfort us and to make us whole again. I'm going to come back in just a minute to answer a couple of your questions that you have texted and emailed in. So I want you to watch this video and I want you to just understand that God's love and forgiveness is for you and it's for today. Love, as I have loved you. What does that really mean? Sometimes it's hard to understand what Jesus meant when he said it, because in the world that we live in, people love us based on circumstantial preference. Like, if I like what you like, you'll like me. Or if I do what you do, you'll accept me. Yet the one that should have rejected me because I wasn't at all like him didn't. Matter of fact, in spite of my imperfections, failures, and flaws, Christ saw something in me that was worth reconciling back to him. 
So it's no longer I who live, but he who lives through me and gives me the courage to fearlessly love you despite what you do to me or how you treat me at my job, at my school, at my church, even in my own family. So let's not view each other in light of our earthly stature, but more as Christ's ambassadors, showing the world that we who are once blinded to this love have tasted this love and lived to share his love. I believe this and only this will help put an end to hate and animosity. It ain't no wishful thinking, man. It's his philosophy. And prayerfully, it's our democracy that if we did, it would change everything. All right, let's get to some questions. Um, we, got, uh, we got a question here that says, if our children are going to find out the things that steal their innocence away, shouldn't we beat them to the punch so that they learn the truth from us? Shouldn't we teach them the truth so they can learn to use critical thinking since they're going to find out anyways. I truly believe that there are, there's a lot of merit to that, that yeah, we should be able to teach our kids how to, you know, make those right decisions and we should teach our children to be able to um, be able to react properly to those situations but the main point that I'm trying to make with the exposure is that we don't want to expose them to things that they not, may not be ready for that are in our homes that we allow. And there's nothing wrong with preparing your kids for the world and telling them, listen, there's things that you're going to deal with, things you might hear at school, things that your friends might say, and let them know that. But you exposing them to that, that's the main thing, is that you put your stamp of approval on things by saying it's okay. And that shapes that influence in their heart and in their life. And when that does that, well, if mom and dad don't think it's a big deal, well, then I, I don't think it's a big deal. And they get exposed to things that they're not yet ready for, that they're not at a place of maturity to be able to handle that. But yet preparing them and telling them, listen, these are the types of things that are out there. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think that God wants us to train up our children to be able to defend themselves, uh, to be able to defend their positions and their morals and their integrities. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's what we allow in our homes to influence them that gives them the stamp of approval that says that this is okay or that this isn't okay. And by us simply participating in those things with our children present, we give that stamp of approval whether we realize it or not. So yes, I, I agree with that, um, but I wanted to let you know what I was saying also. Um, also, uh, there was a question come in about, you know, if, if we're supposed to be full of, of mercy and love, then uh, what about war? What does God think about war? You know, should we just forgive those people who do us wrong? Here's the thing about war that you've got to understand that's God's position on war. God gives us the right to be able to defend ourselves, okay? If someone comes in my home and they're trying to cause me or my children or my family harm and they try to assault me and I have the means to defend myself, I'm going to do it. I'll forgive them later. 
<laughs> for breaking in my home. I'm not going to forgive them while they're causing a threat to my home. Same thing with our nation. If there's a threat to our nation, yes, but it is our God-given right to be able to protect and to defend ourselves. And so, yes, that's, that's God's position on war. And you can see all throughout the Bible where he actually gave victory in certain wars where people meant to do them harm and all these things and uh, that, that he's always protected Israel. That's why it's so important that we stand with Israel, folks. Amen so important so important also you can continue to email in questions you can continue to text in questions you can use that email address you can use the red box out there in the foyer and uh, so make sure that you do that I want you to participate and be involved I'm really enjoying this series we're going to do this for a couple more weeks and uh, one of the things that we have to look forward to I'm going to go ahead I didn't do this in first service so you guys are getting some special information here here in a few weeks I believe it's December the 9th, actually, we're going to have both um, Chief, uh, Chief Steve Riffle from the Sheboygan Falls Police Department and Chief Dave Funkhauser, who is a member of our church, from the Kiel Police Department doing a roundtable discussion with me where we're actually going to be able to talk about some of these things we discuss a little bit more in depth. It's going to be a great day. So that's coming on down the road, so make sure you invite some folks to that as well. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for the pregame. Thank you for the kickoff. Don't even act like it ain't on your mind. Thank you, Lord, for the chicken legs. And thank you, Lord, for the Doritos. All right. If you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, I was listening to you today and I just heard you talking about the love of God and I want to experience that love with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say, I need to receive that love and I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and you're here in this place, I want you to just let me know that you're here by lifting up your hand and putting it back down. I see those hands. I see those hands. You can put it back down. I see that hand. I see that hand. Hands up all in this room. I saw that hand. Anybody else in this place, just acknowledge that I need Jesus Christ in my life. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and make me new. Make me that new creation. Fulfill me complete me make me new I confess you as the leader of my life as my Lord as my Savior I accept your forgiveness for everything wrong I've done thank you for forgiving me and making me whole I'll walk with you from this day forward and never look back in Jesus name Amen if you said that prayer today, I want you to let us know. Give us a call or an email because we want to help you on the next step.